Well, football season is right around the corner. Some of you may have begun watching your team with interest as we are uh, in the middle of preseason. Um, you know, I, I just got to say, I know we've had our differences on this over the years here, okay? Uh, I'm a Packer fan, okay? And I know I've put some digs in my sermons at times, you know, against you Vikings fans out there. But you guys give it back to me equally good, right? Out in the hallways, I'm hearing, you know, are you cheering for Sharon Rogers today and all this, right? So I get it, I get it, right? There's this rivalry between us. But there's one thing that all Packer fans and Vikings fans alike can agree on, Okay? None of us like the Patriots, am I right? Am I right? I think I'm right, okay? Now, you got to admit, the Patriots have been quite a run lately. I mean, look at Tom Brady here, showing off his six Super Bowl championship rings. I mean, that's impressive. I mean, the guy has to be the greatest quarterback of all time behind Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre. I mean, but, uh, no, I mean, that is pretty impressive. Back on June 6th of this summer, the New England Patriots held a ceremony to celebrate their world championship, their Lombardi Trophy victory this past January. And uh, they handed out the rings to each of the players on the team. The, uh, the ring they received this year is up there in the right corner. And uh, this ring that they got contained 20 sapphires, 422 diamonds, and weighed a total of 9.85 carats. That's quite a ring. Pretty impressive. And, uh, and I think Tom Brady, based on all he's accomplished, has the right to be proud of uh, displaying his trophies, his victorious uh, trophies there on his fingers. Well, I share the story with us this morning because Tom Brady might have the Lombardi Trophy and he might have six rings to celebrate, but as followers of Jesus Christ, friends, John is going to highlight for us today that we have a victory far greater than any Super Bowl championship. And we display the fruits of our victory. Tom Brady might have rings, but we have some amazing fruit that we have as children of God, as victors in Christ. And so we're going to look this morning, as John turns to chapter 5, at our victory in Jesus Christ. As I shared a few minutes ago, John is going to finish strong here, right? I mean, we've had this great study all summer, walking in light and love, looking at the uh, letter of 1 John. But uh, he is going to finish strong by reminding us here at the outset of chapter 5 of just who we are as children of God, victors in Christ, and all of that that means. And so uh, we're going to read our passage this morning. I don't want to come back and I want to highlight three revelations that we see here in this great passage of Scripture. John, 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. I'm going to read it. You can follow along in your own Bibles or on the screens behind me. John begins chapter 5. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And the three are in agreement. 
If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given us concerning his Son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to receive your truth this morning. Speak to us, Lord. Help me to communicate all that you have helped me to prepare, and may the power of your word transform us again today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John gives us this incredible passage of Scripture what it means to be children of God. It's a topic that he's come back to over and over again through our series this summer. But today he wants to remind us of probably the the greatest aspect of the reality of who we are as God's children, our victory in Jesus Christ. And so John starts out our passage this morning and, and the first revelation he reveals to us here is that we are victors and we have victory in Christ. In our opening passage, the opening verses of our passage this morning, John declares this amazing truth that as followers of Jesus, we have victory over the world. Look again at verses 4 and 5 in your Bibles. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. John says we are victors. We have overcome the world. The world and the word world that John refers to here is a term that we've already seen a number of times this summer. The word in Greek is cosmos. And when John talks about the world here and throughout his letter, like we've already mentioned this summer, he's not talking about the world in terms of it being our planet. He's not talking about the world in terms of the people who inhabit our planet. When John speaks of the world, he's talking about the reality that we live in a fallen, spiritually corrupt system that is in total opposition to God, his will will and his people he's talking about the spiritually fallen world and the system of the antichrist the spirit of the antichrist that we've talked about this summer that's at work in this world seeking to deceive people seeking to lead people astray seeking to capture people in bondage and not walk in freedom in a relationship with jesus christ And there are many things we've seen that are at work in this world trying to lead people away from the truth. John's already highlighted this summer the reality of false prophets and false teachers and deceitful spirits. And all of these things are at work against God's people and against the people in our world trying to take our eyes off of Christ and to lead us away from the truth. And ultimately, friends, all of this fallen world system falls under the authority of the one John calls the Antichrist or the spirit of the Antichrist who really comes from our ultimate adversary, the devil. Jesus in the Gospel of John three times says that the devil is the ruler of this world. Jesus says that. The Apostle Paul says that 
Satan is the God of this age. Friends, make no mistake about it. We live in a fallen world, a corrupt, spiritually rebellious world that is ruled by the power of the enemy, of Satan. And so when you understand this reality, friends, please know today that there are only two possible ways in which all of us here will relate to this world. See, you're either going to be a victim of the world or you're going to be a victor over the world. Every person on earth, when it comes to this fallen world system in which we live, you're either a victim of it or you're a victor over it. There's no middle ground when it comes to the world. There's no neutral territory. And sadly, many people in our world don't even realize the fact that they're in bondage to this fallen world system. In fact, most people not walking with Christ in a relationship with Christ have no idea that they're in bondage to a fallen world system. But they are. It it reminds me of what took place in World War II in the 1940s in Vichy, France. Vichy, France was supposedly the free zone, the unoccupied zone of France where the Germans had come in, the Nazis had occupied the northern half of France, but they told the the French people, we'll allow you to have your own leaders and your own government and, and you'll be free in southern France, Vichy, France. But it wasn't true freedom. They walked and they lived and they went about their daily business and they thought they were free, but they were under the thumb of the Nazis. They were a puppet government. The Nazis were in control of everything. Nazi spies were around everywhere. They weren't free at all. And it's the same way with most people in our world today. They think they're free. They think they're living their lives of their own accord. But if they're not walking with Christ, they're in bondage to the ruler of this world, to the God of this age. There's no neutral territory. And John tells us in our passage this morning that victory over the world is found in only one place. Victory over the world is only found in one source. It's found in being born of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Now what does that mean, to be born of God? Friends, that's a question people have been asking for 2,000 years. It's a question that goes all the way back to Jesus' ministry when Jesus talked about this concept. That's where John got this idea, to be born of God. He got it from Jesus. And if you remember, even in Jesus' ministry, he talked about the need to be born again. Remember John chapter 3, the Pharisee Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Jesus, how can I have a right relationship with the Father? And Jesus in John 3, verse 3, he says... Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, right, rightly so, totally reasonable question, how can a man be born when he's old? He can't enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Right? Jesus says, look, you need to be born again. How do I be born again? How am I born again? And so they go on in chapter 3 to have a conversation about what that means. And Jesus wraps up the conversation with Nicodemus in those famous words in John 3, 16 through 18. Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world but that the world might be saved through him. 
He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. Why? Because they haven't believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. See, friends, Jesus explains what it means to be born again. To be born again is to put your trust in him as the only true way to have a right relationship with the Heavenly Father. If you want a right relationship with God, friends, John says you got to be born of God. John got that from Jesus who said you need to be born again. To be born again is to believe in Jesus who is the means to reconciliation with God and a right relationship with God. And if you don't believe in Jesus, friends, you don't have the victory. And notice here, friends, our victory over the world When you hear the testimony of Jesus, when you read the testimony of John, our victory over the world is not based on what, but on who. And this is such an important distinction this morning because a lot of people in the world today think that a relationship with God is based on what? On what we do or how we make a way to a relationship with God through our good works, through our efforts, through our merit, right? But it's not about what we do, it's about who, Who did something for us? Jesus came into this world and laid down his life on the cross to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And it's a gift of God that we receive by faith. It's all about what Jesus did for us. The Apostle Paul describes this amazing grace, this amazing gift in Colossians 2, 13 through 15. In this awesome passage, powerful passage. Listen to what Paul says here. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he said, aside, nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. That's an awesome passage, friends. Jesus Christ took the debt that we owed, the legal debt that we owed God for our rebellion, for breaking his commands, for not living up to his righteous, holy standards. We owed a debt none of us could ever pay. But Paul tells us that Jesus took that debt, he nailed that debt to the cross, he threw it away, cast it in the deepest depths of the sea, he covered us with his shed blood to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of that unrighteousness. And in doing all of that, look what Paul says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities, putting them to open shame by triumphing over them on the cross. Friends, who are the rulers and authorities that Jesus put to open shame? He's talking about here the demonic powers behind this fallen world system. Jesus put them to shame when he went to the cross to forgive us of our sins. See, friends, our enemy, the devil, picked the wrong fight when he went up against the Son of God. Reminds me of a story I heard recently of the the famous boxer Joe Lewis. Some of you might be familiar with Joe Lewis. He is still to this day considered by many the greatest heavyweight champion in history. There's a famous story from Joe Lewis's life back in 1930 in Detroit. Joe Lewis was riding a public bus 
uh, through Detroit. And, you know, this huge man, right, he's, he's kind of scrunched down in the bus seats, you know, and so he, he looks a lot smaller scrunched in the bus seats than he really was. Well, at one of the bus stops, these three punks get on the bus. And these three punks get on the bus looking for trouble. And they see Joe Lewis, you know, sitting there, and he's all scrunched down. They can't tell, you know, how big he really is. And so they start picking on Joe Lewis, they start taunting him. They start calling him names. They're trying to pick a fight with Joe Lewis. And, and Joe Lewis just sat there quietly. And, and the longer he sat there quietly, the more these punks, you know, kept egging him on, trying to get into a fight. Well, the bus went down the street a few blocks and came to another stop. And at that stop, Joe Lewis stood up out of his seat. And now these three punks saw this huge hulking man in front of them. Joe Lewis reached into his coat pocket and held out a business card. It read, Joe Lewis, heavyweight champion of the world. (laughs) And you should have seen these three punks, their mouths just dropped in awe. And Joe Lewis walked off the bus. Friends, Joe Lewis could have handed those kids a whole lot more than a business card that day. You know what I'm saying? And in the same way as those punks picked the wrong fight, so too has our adversary, the devil, picked the wrong fight. He picked the wrong fight when he went up against the Son of God, and he picks the wrong fight every single day when he goes up against us as children of God. See, you need to understand this morning, friends, if you are a child of God here today, you stand in the power and authority and victory of God's champion, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is in your corner this morning, friends, and we are victors over this world because of Jesus Christ. A Christian, friends, understand this. A Christian is not somebody who fights for victory. We are people who fight from victory because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. John tells us here at the outset of our passage, we are victorious over this fallen world system because of Jesus Christ. Friends, aren't you glad that you've got Jesus in your corner this morning? As a child of God, you don't fight this world under your own power. You fight it with God's champion on your side. Some of you might be here this morning and you're, you're going up against the world with one arm tied behind your back. Some of you might be here this morning and you don't have God's champion on your side. You might be here this morning and you've been trying to make your way through life and you haven't realized that you are under the thumb of the enemy this morning and you feel the reality of that oppression and the burden of trying to make your way through life with looking for meaning, looking for purpose, looking for hope. Friends, God has a champion who's for you. And you can embrace him by putting your trust in Jesus and being born of God and experiencing the fullness of life that comes and walking in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You too can be an overcomer. You too can know that victory as a child of God if you'll trust in Jesus this morning. So John tells us that as children of God, we have victory over this fallen world system. But secondly, John tells us that our victory in Christ leads to the reality of us displaying the fruit of our victory in our lives, right? Tom Brady might have Super Bowl rings to show off, but friends, we have fruit that is of eternal value, far greater than any Super Bowl trophy, How do we know we've been born of God? John says that the child of God will be marked by the fruit of their victory in Christ. And John lists here three fruits, three evidences of our victory in Christ. The first is in verse 1. He mentions faith 
or belief. Our faith or our belief is a fruit of our victory. Verse 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now, friends, we often think of faith or belief as a means to our victory. But faith and belief, John says, is actually a fruit of our victory. And how does that work? Well, John here is talking about a persevering faith, a faith that keeps on believing. In fact, the word believe he uses here in the Greek is pistuo, which is a present tense verb. And what that means is John is talking about a continuous action, an ongoing faith, ongoing belief, a faith and a belief that keeps on believing. You see, the true child of God will have a persevering faith, a faith that keeps on believing, and that's a fruit of our victory in Christ. Christian faith or belief, friends, is not simply a one-time act, but it's a lifetime action. It's a fruit of our victory. We persevere. We keep on believing. The late great preacher Adrian Rogers once said of this passage, the assurance of my salvation comes not from the fact that I did trust Christ, but that I am trusting Christ for my salvation. Persevering faith, a faith that keeps on believing. It's a mark of a victor in Christ. Sadly, however, we've all seen people who don't persevere in the faith. Many of us know personally and our hearts break over people in our lives who have walked away from the faith. And John has talked about this tragic reality. It's called apostasy. We've seen it this summer in our study that many walk away from the faith. You may remember 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. John says, look it, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. If they had really been from us, they would have remained with us. There are many people, friends, even people who grow up in godly Christian homes, who grow up in faithful churches, who turn their backs on the Lord and they walk away. We shouldn't be surprised by this reality. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 4.1, the Spirit clearly says in latter times, some will fall away from the faith. And it's tragic. We saw a sad example of this just recently. Two weeks ago, the, the well-known Christian author and pastor Joshua Harris wrote the best-selling book in the late 90s called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Two weeks ago, he came out publicly and says, look it, I'm no longer a follower of Jesus. He says, by every mark of what it means to be a Christian, I can no longer be called a Christian. He's walked away from the faith. He's turned his back on Jesus. Now, friends, that's not my position or place to judge his eternal standing in the eyes of God, but I'll tell you something. By the fruit of those who have victory in Christ... John says the number one fruit of a victor in Christ is a belief that keeps on believing, a persevering faith. So I just want to encourage us, friends, to be in prayer. We need to pray for ourselves, for our brothers and sisters. God, give us that kind of persevering faith. But we also need to pray for those in our lives who have walked away from the Lord, who have turned their backs on the Lord. And we need to pray that God would break their hearts turn them back to repentance, turn them back to Jesus. So a persevering faith is the first fruit of our victory. The second fruit of our victory, John highlights here in verses 1 and 2, is our love. In verses 1 and 2, John goes on, he says, whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. John's saying, look, if you love God, you're going to love the child born of God. 
You're going to love your brothers and sisters in Christ who have been born of God just like you've been born of God. And John has spoken, we've seen this in the last three weeks, he's spent a lot of time talking about the reality of love between believers and our love for one another being the primary manifestation of us walking with God as children of God. See, friends, there's a special bond that happens between brothers and sisters in Christ. There's, there's a love that happens between two people who have been born of God. I had an awesome experience just this last Sunday. Last Sunday after church, I met a young woman. Her name is Josie. She's one of the, the ladies going to be baptized next Sunday. Josie's friends with the Shearer family who attend our church. And, and Josie just recently was led to the Lord by Pastor Ken. She put her faith in Jesus. Well, anyway, Josie came and introduced herself to me last Sunday. And, and I had heard her name, but when I put her face with the name, man, it was so awesome. It just made my day because here I'm meeting a new sister in Christ. And joy just exuded from her. And, and there was an instant bond of love and joy between us because I'm her brother in Christ now. She's my sister in Christ. And there's a common bond of love that's found in believers. This is a fruit of our victory in Christ, friends. If you haven't been with us the last three weeks, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to some of those messages where we talked about what it means to walk in love, what it looks like to live in love as God's people. Some powerful truths that John gives us. The third fruit of our victory in Christ, John highlights here in our passage, is obedience. In verse 3, John says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. You know, it never ceases to amaze me how many people in our world think following God's commands, following God's will is a great burden, right? Oh, man, you know, the Jesus stuff and all that stuff in the Bible, it's just so restrictive. It's such a burden to follow Jesus. Friends, are you kidding me? The real burden is living your life in rebellion against Jesus. The real burden is looking at God's commands, throwing them away and going off and living your life any way you please. I'll tell you something, I have never gotten myself into trouble following God's commands. But every single time in my life that I've experienced pain and heartache and guilt and shame, it's a direct result of choosing to ignore God's commands. I think we would all acknowledge, look at when we follow God's will and his ways and his plans and purposes, things generally seem to work out for the good, right? But when we rebel against God, that's when we find ourselves in places where we don't want to be. God's commands aren't burdensome, friends. I've never had an STD or gotten a girlfriend pregnant when living according to God's commands. I've never fallen into financial hardship when managing my money according to God's commands. Isn't that amazing how that works out? I've never battled addiction or alcoholism when following God's commands. I've never feared divorce or a broken home when loving my wife and she loving me according to God's commands. Friends, God's commands aren't burdensome. They lead to life. They lead to joy. My grandpa, Harold Carlson, who I introduced you to a few weeks ago, he was a pastor for 50 years. He used to preach a message called the Ten Great Freedoms. It was a message based on the Ten Commandments. And he talked about the Ten Commandments being the Ten Great Freedoms. These things aren't restrictive. These things lead to freedom. I mean, friends, imagine what would society look like if everybody in our culture followed God's command, thou shall not steal. 
Friends, that would be a society of great freedom where you didn't have to fear locking your door at night. You didn't have to fear somebody breaking into your car. There's great freedom when people follow God's commands. What if our society followed God's commands, thou shall not steal? You would have the freedom to walk into a Walmart and do your grocery shopping without fear that some lunatic's going to come in there with a gun and blast people away. There's great freedom when a culture follows God's commands. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Friends, there's great freedom in a culture where I don't have to fear somebody's going to try to steal my wife. See, God's commands aren't restrictive. God's commands lead to freedom. But it's not just a better quality of life that motivates us to follow God's commands. When John says God's commands are not burdensome, he also has in mind the believer's love for the Lord. You see here, friends, loving God and following God's commands are anything but a burden when our affection is set on him. When he's my first love, following his commands are easy. Uh, Of course I'm going to follow your commands, Jesus. When, When I think of who you are and all you've done for me and what you gave for me, you say jump, I'll say how high. Because I love you, Jesus. It reminds me of the story I heard about this young lady who visited her local bookstore and she, she kind of on a whim bought a book that she saw displayed on the shelf there and she went home and she got into the book and she started reading it that night, got about two chapters into it and she just, just wasn't feeling it. Just, she, she wasn't connecting with it and so she closed the book, put it up on her shelf and just ignored it for the next few months. A few months later, she got hooked up on a blind date She ends up going on this date with this guy, and this guy was handsome, he was charming, he was so gracious, great conversation. And as they're sitting across having dinner on their blind date, this girl starts falling in in love with this guy. And as they're talking, she discovers he's an author. And it turns out, he's the author of this book that she had purchased a few months earlier. Well, friends, what do you think that young lady did that night when she got home from her date? Man, she ran to the bookshelf, she pulled that book down, and she read that book cover to cover. It was the greatest book she'd ever read. What changed? What changed is she had fallen in love with the author. And that made all the difference. See, friends, when we fall in love with Jesus, when we look to Jesus and all that he's done for us and his amazing grace, how could we not follow his commands? How could we not live in obedience to him? But you know, there's one more reason why God's commands aren't burdensome. And that's because God has empowered us to carry out his commands. He's given us the Holy Spirit who lives within us and empowers us to obey. If you want to read more on this, I'd encourage you to go to Romans chapter 8. Go to Galatians chapter 5 where the Apostle Paul talks about the Holy Spirit who lives in us and empowers us and motivates us to a new way of life. See, understand this, God has never given us a command. He hasn't also empowered us to obey. And so we live by the Spirit, we walk by the Spirit, we depend on the Spirit, and he will help us to live the victorious life that we have in Christ. So we have a victory in Christ, we display the fruit of our victory. Thirdly, John tells us in our passage this morning that we hope in and declare the testimony of our victory. 
In verses 6 through 12, John talks about the testimony of our victory, and he highlights for us three witnesses to the deity and lordship of Jesus Christ. And these witnesses John gives us not only for the basis of our own hope personally, but also as the basis of our testimony to the world. What are these three witnesses John highlights? Look again at verses 6 through 8. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. What's all this water and blood stuff about? How do the water and blood testify to Jesus Christ? Friends, John is bringing up the water in reference to Jesus' baptism. He's bringing up the blood in reference to Jesus' crucifixion. And he's saying, look at both the water and the blood testify to the divinity of Christ, the deity of Christ. And the reason why both the water and the blood are important is if you remember going all the way back to the beginning of our series in 1 John, why did John write this book? He wrote this book because he was encountering false prophets who were leading people in the church astray. One of these false prophets was a guy named Serinthus who taught the idea that spirit is good, body is bad. And so Jesus was a man who embraced or received the spirit of God at his baptism. But because God, the spirit, would never allow himself to suffer the shame of crucifixion, when Jesus went to the cross, the spirit left Jesus. So it was just the man Jesus who died on the cross. And John says here, no, that's garbage. That's baloney. Are you kidding me? It's both the water and the blood, the baptism and the cross that testify to the divinity of Jesus Christ. Let's look at these three testament testimonies. The water, Jesus' baptism. The baptism of Jesus was such a significant event that it's found in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all saw it as a crucial event in Jesus' life and ministry. And at the baptism of Jesus, we see our triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all present as Jesus is publicly anointed for his ministry as the Savior of the world. Look at what Matthew says in his gospel, Matthew 3, 16 through 17. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and landing on him. And behold, a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. We see the testimony that Jesus was the Son of God there at his baptism. Friends, no one who witnessed that event that day could have walked away believing that this was any ordinary man. He was the Son of God. And then John highlights the blood, Jesus' crucifixion. And friends, you got to believe Right? John was thinking back to that day when he stood at the foot of the cross and witnessed his Savior and Lord lay down his life. And John is thinking back, how does the cross display the deity of Christ? Do you remember what took place on that day? Do you remember how as he hung on the cross for three hours, the sky went dark? And when Jesus cried out, Tetelestae, it is finished! The ground shook, a massive earthquake rocked all of Jerusalem. 
And the curtain in the temple was torn in two, symbolizing that there was no longer a separation between God and man, but Jesus had made a way. And not only that, Old Testament saints, righteous dead people, came back to life. People who had trusted God in the past, or people who believed in Jesus but had died before his death and resurrection. These people came back to life and gave testimony throughout Jerusalem. Friends, anyone who saw what took place on the cross could not doubt that Jesus Jesus truly was the Son of God. In fact, even a hardened, brutal Roman executioner declared, truly, this man was the Son of God. We see testimony at the baptism, at the crucifixion. And then thirdly, John says, we see testimony through the Holy Spirit. How? When? Where does the Holy Spirit testify to the Lordship of Christ? Number one, we saw the Holy Spirit testify at Jesus' baptism. We also see, though, that the Holy Spirit testifies to us through the inspired authors of Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is inspired by God. 2 Peter 1.20, no prophecy of Scripture was ever made by an act of human will. But men spoke from God as they were moved or carried along by the Holy Spirit. Friends, when we read the Word of God, this isn't originating in the minds of men. This is about men who spoke from God. They were carried along or moved by the Holy Spirit to reveal to us God's truth. And so when we study God's word, this isn't just your pastor's interpretation. This isn't just, you know, what I think or what I hope is true. This is the very word of God given to us through Holy Spirit-inspired men. We see the Spirit testify through the preaching of the word. Friends, every Sunday when I stand up here and proclaim the word of God, I do so only by the grace of the Holy Spirit's empowerment. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, he talked about this very reality. Look at when I came to you, Paul said, I didn't come with great eloquence. I didn't come in some you know, powerful you know, mannerisms. He said, I came in fear and trembling. But it was through the power of the Holy Spirit that the word was spoken among you. Friends, I experience this every week. There are many weeks where I'll sit in my study and I'll be studying hard trying to prepare the sermon for you on Sunday. I'll get to Thursday morning and I'll be sitting in my office. Ron will come visit me and I'm all stressed out. I don't want to talk. It's because I have nothing to say. But it never ceases to amaze me how many times the Holy Spirit will just start moving and flowing through me and revealing truth and the words just begin to flow out onto the paper. It's the grace of God. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we hear the Spirit through the preaching of the Word. We also have the internal reality of the Spirit in our lives. In John 16, Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit who would come and he would be our comforter. He would be our guide. He would be our counselor. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8 talks about life by the Spirit and being led by the Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit testifies. And God has given us three witnesses that testify to his Son, Jesus Christ. But friends, like in any court of law, witnesses are given for the sake of prompting deliberation. And so notice what John says next in verses 9 and 10. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. 
For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his son. The one who believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. John says, look it, we're so quick to believe the testimony of men and yet God has testified. Have you embraced the testimony of God? Or are you making God out to be a liar because God has told us the truth? Friends, we're so quick to believe whatever anyone tells us today. You turn on the news at night and there's so much fake news and agenda-driven spin and it comes from both sides of the spectrum. People don't know who to believe anymore. But John tells us here in our passage that there is one source of news, good news that is fully trustworthy and true, and that's the word of God. Do you believe the testimony of God? It's the one that is faithful and true. And John wraps up our passage this morning by declaring that what you do with God's testimony, that makes all the difference. Look at verses 11 and 12. The testimony is this. That God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God does not have the life. Friends, you are either a victor in Christ, a child of God, born again, or you don't have Christ. Where did John get this idea from? He got it from the testimony of Jesus himself. Look what Jesus said in John 3, 36. Jesus said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son by being born again will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Friends, this is God's testimony. Jesus alone is the basis for our victory. You either have Jesus or you don't have Jesus. You're either of the world under the thumb of the enemy or you are a victor over the world, a child of God, with Jesus as your champion in your corner. But there's no neutral territory. So what are you going to do with God's testimony about his son Jesus? Have you put your trust in Jesus? See, friends, no one here this morning is going to leave today with any excuse You're either going to leave here today secure in the knowledge that you're a child of God, or you're going to walk out of here thinking, okay, whatever, nice sermon, blah, 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 bunch of baloney, whatever. And I'm going to tell you something. You're going to walk out of here under the thumb of the enemy. And you might think it's crazy, but there's going to be a day where you will stand before the king of the universe, and you're going to beg him to allow you into his presence. And he's going to remind you That there was a day in mid-August 2019 when a pastor stood up and told you as clear as day the way that leads to life. And you, you forfeited that opportunity. Friend, don't be naive. Don't be a fool. There's one path that leads to life and that's Jesus Christ. That's God's testimony. And you can leave here today knowing that you too are a victor. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the power of your word. Jesus, my heart just hurts this morning knowing how many people in our world 
live in bondage to this fallen world system and they don't even realize it. And Jesus, I just hope and pray that if there's anybody here this morning who hasn't trusted in you for their salvation, that right now your Holy Spirit would be convicting them, pulling them to you, compelling them to put their trust in you. Friends, you can leave here today knowing that you're a child of God, victorious in Christ. And so I just pray that if, if you're on that fence right now, if you're, if you're teetering in your decision that you would fall into the arms of Jesus, that you would acknowledge your need for him, the reality of your sin and your rebellion, and that you would say, Jesus, I know that you're my only hope. Today I trust in you. I receive your free gift of salvation. I want you to be the Lord of my life, and I want to know with certainty today that I, too, am a child of God. That's my prayer for you, friends. My prayer for the rest of us here this morning is that we would leave here with greater confidence, greater assurance, and a greater sense of purpose to testify to the good news of Jesus Christ, God's amazing grace. We praise your name, Jesus. Amen.